0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 20th Century Movie Club on The Dana Buckler Show. This is Volume 32. I'm your host, Mike Scott. And as always, I am unable to do this show by myself. I mean, I could, but none of you want to listen to me just blather on. So I'm pleased to welcome a very special guest. Uh, This episode, I am welcoming my best friend, The co-host of the Two Strike Noise podcast and the person who very likely knows me better than anybody in the world except for maybe my wife, Jeff Paulson. Jeff, how are you tonight?
1: Hey, thank you so much for for having me. uh, I'm excited to be here. We have not done a movie podcast together and this is exciting because you have been my movie sensei. You've you've introduced me to so many different movies throughout the years that I'm excited to get to talk about some
0: And I'm stoked to have you on we've been talking about doing this for a while And I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen before we get started You have your own podcast uh, And I I want I want everybody to check out your podcast and listen to it So tell us a little bit about two strike noise
1: Well like yourself uh, I'm a big baseball fan Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) When you think of me, baseball fan is exactly what comes to mind.
1: Well, I am a huge baseball fan. I'm a baseball nerd. I am. I am very much like you in movies. I can't tell you what I had for dinner last night, but I can remember, you know, somebody's third at bat from a game in 1992. So um, that's it's really my passion. Uh, Like yours, this movie, mine, mine is baseball. And I have uh, worked in sports for over 20 years now, and I've just, I I love to talk about goofy things in in sports and specifically baseball. So uh, we like to talk about things, my co-host and I, about quirky players, odd games, weird stats. We open old baseball cards. We have former players on, and we basically just kind of goof off and talk about baseball. So It's uh, it's interesting to to get to come and talk about movies that have nothing to do with baseball. (laughs) So I'm excited.
0: Yeah, me too. And, And before we move on, I do just you mentioned it very briefly, but I do just have to ask you because I it's my favorite part of your show. Tell everybody about Wax Pack
1: Heroes. So Wax Pack Heroes, I used to collect baseball cards. I mean, that's how I learned baseball a lot of times was just I knew every player in the league because I bought. Okay, I didn't buy. I, I shoplifted a lot of baseball cards in my youth. And so what we do now is we we buy old packs of baseball cards. They're called Wax Packs because they're packaged in wax you know, like envelopes. And we'll open those. We've got an old Beckett baseball card monthly, which is the Bible of baseball cards. It tells you how much they're worth. We like to just open those up from the late 80s, early 90s. We talk about the players that we remember, weird things they've done, weird stats. And we kind of total them up and see who has the highest value from, I think our Beckett's from 1992. But we do some funny things. Well, we think it's funny. We, We give them extra you know an extra cent if they've got a good mustache uh if they're wearing uh, science teacher glasses you know those glasses that take up your whole face those kind of things
0: and you actually in addition to that being part of the podcast you have a two strike noise youtube channel where people can actually see the cards that you guys are opening up is
1: that correct that is yes and i think that i i I I enjoy doing that because people can actually see when we make fun of somebody, they can actually see the card there and and laugh along with us, hopefully.
0: I really love Two strike noise, folks. So I, I if you like baseball or even if you don't like baseball, I listen to it and I'm not a baseball fan, but I am a history nerd and baseball is part of history. So I always get something out of it, even if I don't quite appreciate all the baseball stuff. So. Folks, as you know, we have uh, some rules here with how we do the 20th Century Movie Club. We are going to be each recommending three movies from be- from before the year 2000. And as always, we ask our guests to come up with a theme. So, Jeff, I think you have come up with a great theme tonight. So tell us what you picked.
1: So we're buddies. We've been buddies for a good, good minute now. And uh, I thought, you know, what is better than a... Pre year 2000 buddy film of which I came up with a very long list, but I was able to narrow it down to three movies that I can watch over and over again that would be considered a buddy movie, not just a buddy comedy, not a buddy cop film, but a buddy movie.
0: Yeah, and I love this because. I think when most people hear buddy film, they do think of buddy cop movies. And even I, when you hear my recommendations, tended to fall a little bit into that that trap. But it can be any there's any number of buddy movies you know it came out after the year 2000 but dude Wears my car for instance is one of my absolute favorite buddy movies because there's no question that is just about two buddies so i love this recommend or i love this theme and i'm excited to hear your recommendations uh do you have any questions before we get into it
1: uh i was told uh i would be doing this show only with dana and that was the reason i i agreed to this is this no longer the case This is no longer the case. Dana
0: is busier than most world leaders. And he also told me that uh, you really, really need to stop sending him creepy notes. He uh, (laughs) he does not appreciate them and he he will not hesitate to get a restraining order. So you're going to just be with me tonight. Sorry about that.
1: Okay. well, thank you. Thank you for having me on regardless.
0: All right. So, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and fire up uh, your first recommendation?
1: Okay. So buddy films, you're right. Buddy cop. It's kind of like, that's kind of the the trope, isn't it? More than just a buddy film. It's usually a buddy cop film. I do have one that fulfills that quotient, but I'm going to save it for last. I have got uh, two comedies that I'm going to go with first of all. And I hadn't watched either of these comedies for probably a couple of years, watched them again in preparation to come on here. And I think one of the reasons I like both of these films, obviously, I'm just going to tell you one right now, is because it really kind of put me back. Uh, When I watched these, it really took me back to the first time that I saw these films. And I realized that that is kind of why I think I like these films so much beyond the fact that I think they're still funny. It really put me back in the time frame when I originally watched these films. And for this first one, that was all the way back in junior high school. So my first film, which is a truly a buddy film, is the export from the Great Northwest. It is Strange Brew. I love Strange Brew. Tell us a little bit about why you
0: recommended it.
1: Well, like I said, this was in junior high. This was I, I remember, you know, on weekends, growing. I, like you, I grew up in Salt Lake City. So we'd go down to Cottonwood Mall. We'd, uh, you know, look for girls down at the mall that we would never go talk to. And uh, then we'd call our parents and have them come pick us up. We'd rent a movie and we'd go to somebody's house and we'd watch a movie. And this was a movie I had no idea who Doug and Bob McKenzie were. I certainly didn't know much about Canada I was just starting to get into hockey which is cool because there's hockey involved in this film which we both also like but uh, just the the goofy comedy in this and how uh, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas play their characters these goofy characters they play them so well though it just it's a joy to watch them I think it's good it's actually clean humor that still makes me laugh today and and uh, it just it really took me back to, to junior high school and watching this for the first time. There are so many things in this film that I still quote today that I'm guessing my wife has no idea what I'm quoting because she's never seen it. But uh, still a lot of things that I still use today, like steamroller, that uh, really just made me it made my day when I watched this again. I'm really glad I got to revisit it.
0: One of the things I love most about this movie is that, uh, we listeners will know if you've listened, we recommended the lion King a few episodes ago. And most people know that, you know, the lion King takes its inspiration from Hamlet very heavily yet. It's not even close to the way strange brew takes its in, its inspiration <laughs> from Hamlet. I mean, we've got the beer company in this is called Elsinore beer, Bob and Doug McKenzie, Rick Moranis, and Dave Thomas are basically uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, essentially. I mean, this is one of those movies again that I think when it came out, kind of went over people's heads because it is a hell of for as such a silly comedy. It is a hell of a lot smarter than people actually give it credit for. There's really a lot going on in this movie. And, and for those who have never actually gotten to see the joy that is Bob and Doug McKenzie, you know, most people might remember them. Younger people who we sort of aim this show at, you might recognize them as the moose from Brother Bear, Disney's Brother Bear, where they sort of brought the characters back. But they were comedic geniuses in the 80s, and I... I haven't watched this movie in a very long time, and this is just inspiring me to need to watch it again. Because I also love that Ming the Merciless himself, which, as people know, I've recommended Flash Gordon fairly recently. Max von Sydow is the villain in it. Always fantastic in everything he does. This is just such a, a fantastic You got me thinking a little bit, Jeff, about the first time I sort of found Bob and Doug McKenzie and it was on an old Dr. Demento Christmas music CD (laughs) where they had them doing the 12 days of Christmas do you remember that
1: yes yes I remember I actually had forgotten about that but yes I do remember their 12 days of Christmas
0: that is much like you say you quote strange brew and your wife doesn't know what you're saying I quote that all the time around the holiday season. And I'm not sure that Kelsey knows what I'm talking about, but Isn't uh, that
1: in- instead of a partridge in a pear tree, it's just a beer.
0: It's a beer. It's uh two turtlenecks. It's uh five golden toques. It's uh it's, and they, they have a whole intro where they're trying to figure out what the 12 days of Christmas actually are. Because there's Boxing Day, Wrestling Day, a couple Saturdays and Sundays in there. Like it, it's it folks, if you've never listened to it, watch Strange Brew and then listen to the twelve days of Christmas. You are guaranteed for a good night. Uh anything else you want to add about Strange Brew? Uh
1: I, I don't think so other than it it is a fun movie. Um it's it's a family friendly movie, which is kind of weird that I would recommend that because we don't have kids. So that never plays into anything. Uh, but uh, it is a, a, a quintessential uh, comedy from the 1980s uh, in, in my mind. And uh, I'm I'm excited. I was excited to see Rick Moranis come back, uh, even if it's just in a commercial with Ryan Reynolds uh, a week or so ago. Well, actually, I guess it was longer than that, but I really like Rick Moranis and it was fun to see him. And Dave Thomas, they they work so well together.
0: Yeah, they they clearly, you know, they came up through the SCTV ranks and they had a good chemistry and a good rapport. And then they like a lot of great, you know, duos or groups. They went their separate ways, but uh I, I really do think if you haven't seen Strange Brew, you're you're missing out on one of the all time great '80s comedies. So I love this recommendation, man.
1: Awesome! Everybody, watch it.
0: Agreed. All right, so folks, uh, as I mentioned earlier in my intro, I kind of fell in a little bit to the trap of buddy films being buddy cop films. But I'm okay with that because I do really enjoy buddy cop films. And so the first recommendation I'm going to make is one that I think is kind of the archetype for the 80s buddy cop film. It came out a year before Lethal Weapon. It came out a few years before some of the others. And it really sets the template for what we think of when we think of buddy cop films. It wasn't as popular as some of those later ones but those later ones were clearly influenced. I think some people might argue 48 Hours did it first, and I think that's a fair argument, but I still think this one is seminal. And it is the 1986 Peter Hyams film Running Scared, starring Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, along with a bunch of actors that you would recognize. Uh, Hines and Crystal play a couple of Chicago cops who are known for their wisecracking ways and unorthodox methods and uh they end up trying to take on a big drug dealer played by jimmy smiths and uh it kind of goes haywire for them ultimately leading to them going to key west and buying a bar and then coming back there's a bunch of stuff that happens in this movie it's actually kind of surprising how much they jam into 107 minutes in this one jeff have you seen running scared
1: I have actually. I have seen Running Scared. I actually saw it a long time ago, and then I saw it a, a couple of years ago. And I, I, the thing I remember most about this is it's got Joey Pants in it, so that uh, it makes for a good movie immediately if uh, Joe Pantoliano's in it. And
0: Joey Pants is fantastic in it, right? Like as he plays a character named Snake, who they arrest and harass, and he's just. He's he's everything you want out of Joey pants in a movie. He's just (laughs) I think
1: he's got a a dangly earring,
0: dangly earring and like pink or red hair. And uh, and he's just he's so Joey pants. You know, this was just a couple years, a few years after he was in risky business. And uh, he's he's terrific in it. You being a big sports guy. We need to talk really quick. I tweeted this out today before we recorded we got to talk about Billy Crystal's jersey game in this movie (laughs) because there there are some things happening in his jersey game that I'm not sure how I feel about.
1: (laughs) First of all, I got to say, his closet I'm a fan of because he's got some great jerseys in there, right? He he wears a Blackhawks jersey, if I recall correctly. I know he wears a Cubs jersey. Uh, What I do remember, though... When I did watch it, was wondering what every time he wears one of these really cool jerseys, he tucks them in his friggin' pants like he's a hundred and four years old. Who wear like Have you ever seen a hockey player? tuck their hockey jersey in I mean except for like uh what Alex Ovechkin puts it in the back or something hockey jerseys are meant to be worn loose and free and he's got it tucked in like he's an old man yeah very disturbing yeah that was the thing that
0: uh that threw me is because I as you know listeners I've said earlier I'm not a baseball fan. I am a diehard hockey fan. I own about 25 hockey jerseys. I wear them pretty continually, and I can honestly say in my life I have never tucked one into my pants. Uh, And I started wearing hockey jerseys in the 80s, and I did not tuck them into my pants in the 80s. So you can't tell me this is some 80s thing. This is a Billy (laughs) Crystal thing.
1: Plus, you know, hockey jerseys—they're—they're they're not as much anymore. But especially the ones that he was wearing in this movie in in nineteen eighty six were thick. They were heavy. If you're tucking that in, you got to go up a whole pant size just to be able to to you know button your fly at that point.
0: Yeah, and he's got his gun belt and everything on too. Like he's he's probably wearing you know I would imagine Billy Crystal's maybe especially at this time. It's maybe like a size 32 waist. He's probably rocking size 38 pants to accommodate his jerseys. Uh, I did want to ask you about the Cubs jersey that he wears. It, it Now, when I think of baseball jerseys, and folks, bear with us on this digression. It, it, this is what happens when Dana lets me host the show. When I think of baseball jerseys, I think of Button up in front. And his Cub jersey almost looks like a hockey jersey. It's got a V-neck but it's a solid front. Was
1: that what baseball jerseys looked like in the eighties? Boy, I could, we, if you wanted me to, I could go on for two hours about just Jersey tops. Uh, But yes, in the, in the eighties, there were very few button downs. The Yankees, uh, the Red Sox had an actual pullover for a while in the eighties. The the Yankees was always a button down. The Tigers was always a button down, but yeah, there were a lot of those V-neck, Uh, pullover jerseys. They didn't wear belts in in the 80s either. They had Sansa belt pants that just snapped in the front. Um, But uh, for me, I think he wears a solid blue Cubs jersey at one point. I think he wears a, a pinstripe one, but I think he also wears a solid blue jersey that they only wore two different years in the 1980s which was what caught my eye, but still the Cubs Cubs jerseys are classic and I love Cubs jerseys. So I thought, except for the tucking in that they were, they were good looking kits there.
0: Yeah. The whole climax he's wearing the finale. He's wearing a solid blue Jersey. Although I will also say he's wearing it over a long sleeve collared flannel shirt, which again (laughs) is a look, um, But enough Jersey digression. Running scared's hilarious, folks. Uh, Crystal and Hines play off each other really well. If you're unfamiliar with Gregory Hines, he was a very, very terrific. He was a dancer who got into acting. Terrific actor. Even better dancer. They have a nice rapport. Smits plays a good villain. Uh, I, I think this is, if you're looking for a funny buddy cop movie, you could do far worse than this one.
1: Well, and, you know, I liked I liked, you know, obviously it took place in Chicago for nine tenths of the the movie. I really liked the way that the city was used. It was gritty. This is what I like from 80s action movies is is the gritty inner city. You know, you and I grew up in Salt Lake City. We had no idea what New York City or Chicago was like, especially, you know, kind of in the, the the more rough areas the rough parts of town and these kind of movies are what I thought all big cities were like like this gritty graffiti everywhere and the way people talked and everything I just I love these kind of movies uh I it, I thought the city played a, a really nice part in this movie
0: absolutely I'm
1: gonna shout
0: out my friends F this movie especially my friends uh Patrick and Erica Bromley and Adam Risky from Chicago because they always talk about you know, this is a good Chicago movie, and I'll tell you, folks. Running Scared is about the most Chicago movie that has ever been made. I I I know the most
1: maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and I know a lot of people say maybe the uh, the Fugitive, but man, this is Chicago through and through, and the way Hyams shoots it, it's almost a weird. Love Letter to the City. Even though it's grimy and dirty, it's such a love letter to the city of Chicago. So, I really really recommend this one. I think everybody should check it out.
1: Also, you know, if we if we want to talk about Cubs and 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 Chicago movies, I mean Rookie of the Year, you can't go wrong with it. <laughs> Henry Rowan Gardner.
0: Yes, a movie that may or may not end up on this recommendation list at some point, but it's certainly not going to end up on it tonight. Uh, All right, Jeff, why don't you tell us uh, what your second pick is?
1: All right. Yeah, it it should be said. I am steering. I made sure no baseball included at all with any of my picks. So Uh, this next one is uh right alongside strange brew for me i remember exactly so strange brew came out in 1983 this one came out in 1989 i probably watched them though about the same time i didn't see either of these in the theater i saw them both on vhs i, I bet we rented them from video verne's which mike will know exactly what video verne's and where it was uh was But this movie is uh, actually the first of now three movies that have uh, been made in this trilogy. And this was the first and it was our first introduction to one. Mr. I believe it was the first introduction to Keanu Reeves. It is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Now, Love can you it. confirm, was this Canoe's first? I'm sorry, I call him Canoe. Mike knows, <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but is, is this his first movie? It was not, uh, but it was, I think, his uh,
0: second or third. He had done a couple more prior to this one called Permanent Record and one, uh, a couple of others. But this was certainly his, for lack of a better term, his big Appearance
1: movie. I mean, well, this was- let's not forget Youngblood, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, but this was the one where we really got the first sort of where most people certainly first became familiar with Keanu Reeves.
1: Yeah, this was so much fun. I, I, again, hadn't watched this for a while, and I know that a new one just came out, and I have not seen it yet. I know you have, and I know you really enjoyed it, and, and maybe I'll make time this weekend to, to see it, but watching this movie, I mean, except for one uh, one scene that I was literally shocked at because I had forgotten that uh, uses uh, some language that I <laughs> that I was a little disturbed about. Uh, this was so much fun. And another one of those movies that, between Strange Brew and my third pick, I swear these three movies might be the movies that I still quote the most out of any, any movie I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I, for those who haven't seen Excellent Adventure in a while, and this also applies to Bogus Journey, there are really just one joke in each one of them that uses a slur that uh hits like a ton of of bricks now uh, and and I feel confident having watched the third one that if the filmmakers could go back and take those jokes out they they certainly would because the third one has nothing of the sort in it uh that that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch the movie i i So I've said this before on Twitter. I think this is the movie that I saw the most in my life in the theaters. There was the summer it came out. There was a dollar, a big movie palace in Salt Lake called the Regency that had converted to a dollar theater. So it had a giant screen, but it was a dollar theater. And so I pretty much every day for a month, I would ride my bike to this theater pay a dollar and watch Bill and Ted. I probably saw this movie 25 times in the theater. I loved it. I still love it. I love everything about it. Uh, I love, and you mentioned that I have seen the new one for those who are listening to Dana's new show on Dash Radio, uh, Hollywood Unfiltered. I reviewed it for that so you can hear my thoughts, but I absolutely adored the new one as well. Jeff, I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't ask you what you thought of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey.
1: Bogus Journey, w- yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. Do, do people like it? I, I have not ever really heard too many people that that liked it. Certainly not better than Excellent Adventure. Um, my favorite thing from Bogus Journey is the Kiss song, God Gave Rock and Roll, to you. <laughs> yeah. Because and-
0: I love I love that song. <laughs> yeah, no, my favorite thing is the Faith No More song, "Perfect Crime." No, lots of people love Bogus Journey. I will admit, I am one of the ones that thinks Excellent Adventure and Face the Music are far superior. I know lots of people Bogus Journey's their favorite, and that's great. Is it? Yeah,
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it just didn't speak to me like this one did.
0: I, I agree completely. And, and one of the things that I love most about all three of the movies is the. Kind of just the purity of Bill and Ted, you know, they get lumped in with those sort of late eighties, early nineties stoner comedies, but a, they're not stoners. There's no indication in any of the movies that they even smoke pot. But secondly, they are just such pure of soul lads. They're dumber than bags of hammers, but they are so pure. And I think that's what makes the movies so delightful is because They're just nice guys who are just trying to get through life, and they find out that they have to you know, go on this journey to try and write the song that's going to unite all of humanity, or at least in the first one, pass their history test at a minimum. And they're just so delightful that everybody always wants to help them out, because how could you not? I mean, if I ran into Bill and Ted in real life, I'd be like, Whatever you guys need, I, I'm I'm here for you. You're just awesome people. Uh, so I love this recommendation. I love this movie. I'm a little mad that you're the one that gets to recommend it, but at least I still get to talk about it.
1: Can I can I ask you, do you can you say Socrates' name correctly or you just call him Socrates?
0: I don't only call him Socrates. I end up calling him Socrates Johnson far more often than, uh, <laughs> than I should. Um,
1: the, when I see his name, I just see Socrates. I, I don't see Socrates anymore.
0: The other one that gets me every time is every time somebody I see Genghis Khan or somebody mentions Genghis Khan. To me, he's Bob Genghis Khan. He's just he's Bob Genghis Khan. <laughs>
1: I I really enjoy the adventures of of all these historical characters in the in the quote unquote modern world in the in the eighties. You know, uh, um, the uh, the ice cream pal Napoleon at, at the ice cream shop, and then the water slides, and Joan of Arc doing like the jazzercise stuff, and Mozart. Uh, was it was Beethoven. it Mozart or was it uh, Beethoven? Beethoven beethoven at the music store and just everything i just the the whole mall aspect because in the 80s you know the mall was was the world essentially for teenagers and to see all these historical figures at the mall that was just so much fun i and then then the report too i mean San Dimas high school football rules is still you know one of those things i'll say when i don't know what to say yep
0: Absolutely, I uh, I have said that many times, and I also love, like you mentioned, that mall scene, backed by extremes. Do you want to play with me, Nuno Betancourt on that song? Absolutely destroying his guitar. One of the f- <laughs> I, I'm not a guitar player, but one of the fastest like guitar solos I think that has ever been recorded. It's it, it's crazy. The, this movie is. I I can't imagine. That there's people listening to this that haven't seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but if you haven't, reevaluate your life. Watch this movie. Watch it this weekend. Watch all three of them this weekend. Uh, they're all at the time of recording. There's there's sales on Amazon and iTunes for the entire trilogy. Watch all three of them. You're going to be in a much better mood at the end of the weekend than you will be at the start if you watch some Bill and Ted this weekend.
1: Agreed. And I'll watch one of them. I'm going to watch the new one this weekend.
0: All right. I am going to move on to my next pick, which is, again, another buddy cop movie. But it's, I think, a little bit of a unique one in that it is one of the buddy cop movies that had massive star power behind it. Uh, A lot of buddy cop movies, you sort of have one established star and a lesser star. But in this particular one, you had two stars at arguably the height of their popularity teaming up for what I think is just an absolutely fantastic time. So my next pick is 1989's Tango and Cash, starring our former retrospective uh, focal point Sylvester Stallone and the almighty Kurt Russell. Uh, This is a movie about two badass L.A. cops named Ray Tango and Gabe Cash, who find that they are on the same case, even though they are opposites in every way possible. Uh, Stallone's Tango is an upper middle class stockbroker as a cop, essentially. And Gabe Cash, Russell's Gabe Cash, is sort of a rock and roll, you know, long haired hippie. But they find that they are on the same case, and they end up ultimately both getting framed and sent to prison, and have to both break out and clear their names and wreak their revenge. Jeff, have you ever seen Tango and Cash?
1: I have, and um, are, are are you sure that you didn't mean Turner and Hooch? You're you're going with Tango and Cash. Going Tango and Cash, not not going <laughs> not going Tom Hanks
0: and the dog. Going ta- going Tango and Cash.
1: No, I have definitely seen this movie. I mean, this is... you. I mean, you know me. I, I like action films. Uh, I grew up on 80s action films. And this is one that I definitely remember. Because Kurt Russell is one of my favorite actors of all time. And anytime he's doing action, I always enjoy it. I am um, not a big Sylvester Stallone fan. But uh, I know that's probably heresy on this show. But um, yeah, I definitely remember this movie. Because I, I remember... Uh, This was I I mean, this this movie to me is kind of the epitome, I think you said, of of 80s action, the the mismatched uh, buddy, buddy cop film. And uh, yeah, I I, didn't this take place in were they in prison at some point during this movie? Yep. The whole
0: middle section, they get sent to prison and they have to break out. We get Robert Zadar for genre fans. He's the maniac cop dude with a giant, giant jaw. They end up having to break out, and uh, that's really where they bond. But what I love about it is for, uh, by all accounts, Russell has no ego. But anybody who listened to our Rambo retrospective knows that Stallone has one of the biggest egos that has ever graced Hollywood screens. But nonetheless, they manage to play off each other well, and they both give ample screen time to one another to do what they do best. And so I really think that this is one of those movies where, you know, Jeff, you're not alone. A lot of people aren't Sylvester Stallone fans. This is one of those movies that I actually recommend to people to watch to see why I like Sylvester Stallone so much. It's not going to turn you into a Kurt Russell fan because you should already be one. But if you're not, you're also going to love Kurt Russell. Uh, The difference is, is he's, never not amazing in anything that he does
1: i i would like to to tie this back to my my passion baseball and talk about kurt russell for a minute uh kurt russell uh, maybe not known to many people his father is very very famous Uh, In baseball circles, he was a professional baseball player and a coach. He actually owned a team in Portland, uh, an independent team called the Portland Mavericks. And Kurt Russell was actually a member of the uh, Portland Mavericks. He was a second baseman. So he played professional baseball. Uh, Kurt Russell actually starred in a series of instructional baseball videos that his father produced When uh, when Kurt was young and there's a great movie on Netflix, a documentary called the battered bastards of baseball that is all about the Portland Mavericks and the characters, the uh, the the drunken uh, drug fueled uh, 70s team, uh, independent team from Portland, Oregon, which is uh, really interesting. But again, just makes me love Kurt Russell even more.
0: And you are not the only person I know who has really strongly recommended the Battered Bastards of Baseball. I have not yet seen it, but my understanding is it's absolutely terrific. And uh, as far as I understand, that was his primary goal was he did want to be a he he was already starring in Disney movies, but he did want to be a baseball player. And then I don't know if he got hurt or uh, what happened. Uh, I'm actually just now reading on Wikipedia, he tore his rotator cuff and that was kind of the end. And so then he returned to acting and that's when we got him in things like Elvis and Escape from New York. So baseball's loss is movie fans gain, I think, because whether he could have been a good or good or even better than good baseball player, I think we can all agree that when it comes to actors, there is only one Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah, and and we got him as Herb Brooks in Miracle, which is just an incredible. I, I mean, I think it, probably the best hockey movie. I love Young Blood too. We've had this discussion before, but just Miracle still brings tears to my eyes and gives me goosebumps. And he he's a great Herb Brooks in Miracle.
0: Trust me, it hurts my soul a little bit that Miracle came out after the year 2000, and I cannot recommend it and talk about it on this show. I am going to have to figure out a way to, uh, in fact, backdoor a discussion of Miracle, because I agree with you. I think that's the best hockey movie ever made. I love it. And he's a fantastic Herb Brooks. All right, Jeff, why don't you lead us into your third and final pick?
1: Okay, so this one is the one I'm most excited about because this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, It is an actual buddy cop film, and this is one of those movies that I, you know, I watched it again in preparation here. This was probably the one I didn't need to watch again because I've probably seen this 20 to 30 times again, just. Watching it made me realize how many things I say from this movie that I at this point don't even realize that I'm I'm quoting a movie, but it is the epitome of a Michael Bay film. And it is bad boys with Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence from 1995. And I know, Mike, you know plenty about this movie because we have watched and reminisced and talked about this movie many times
0: yeah, no, I love this movie. I love this recommendation. If I'm not mistaken, this is this will be officially the first Michael Bay movie to end up on the 20th Century Movie Club. Folks, if you listen to the show, uh, please go back a few episodes and find Dana's discussion, his Icons episode with Jim, with the almighty, brilliant Jim Hemphill on the films of Michael Bay, and you can hear their views on it. But uh, this is the first actual Michael Bay movie on the 20th Century Movie Club, and I can't think of a more appropriate one because it's Bay's first movie. It's one of my favorite Bay movies. I love that you recommended this one. Tell us a little bit about what you love about it.
1: Well, it was before I was kind of over the michael bay style of movies <laughs> i mean this was the first one right and watching it again i i swear you could have taken yeah. scenes out of this and uh, kind of spliced them in with the rock and vice versa because they're exactly like the same you know style of shots and the same kind of atmosphere and setting but oh my god uh will smith and martin lawrence in this and and i know that people didn't like the original script and michael bay gave them a lot of opportunity to ad-lib and kind of make this their own and come up with stuff on the fly and it is just so there they worked so well together and they play off each other so well and some of the lines in this movie are just absolutely classic And they just it made me laugh so hard again. And oh, my God, I I, if you want, I can spend the next 10 minutes just, you know, saying lines that I that I like I said, still say today.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the it's an incredibly quotable movie, like most Michael Bay movies. I will admit in the year 2020, it is problematic as fuck, but it is less problematic than a lot of Michael Bay movies. And it's certainly less problematic Than bad boys too but it's still incredibly quotable I think one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is that it was originally supposed to to star Dana Carvey and John Lovitz which (laughs) like dude tell me that is not I mean I would pay to see that movie but I'm glad that we got the bad boys that we got
1: it would almost be worth it to see this uh, shot for shot remake with Dana Carvey and John Levitz. I think I would pay a lot of money to see that actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh I I just I can't even really conceive of what that movie would have been like. But when I saw this in '95, I remember I was I was kind of blown away because one of the things that caught my attention was for longtime listeners of the show, you know that I'm a big Hong Kong action movie fan. And this was kind of at the peak of my love of Hong Kong movies. I I really started finding Hong Kong movies around 1992, 1993. And this was one of the first times I'd seen, you know, Hard Target had come out. There had been a few directors make the leap. But this was one of the first times I had really seen a Western director apply... Hong Kong filmmaking techniques to a Western action movie. The, the slow motion, the zooms, the closeups, the really elaborate gunplay and stuff like that. And so I remember being absolutely blown away by this movie. And I kind of, I'll be honest. I kind of feel like the Michael Bay that I thought we were going to get with bad boys and later the rock is not the Michael Bay that we ended up getting. And so I'm glad you recommended this one because this is – it's actually my second favorite Bay film after The Rock. It's a, a very important movie to me uh, as somebody who saw it at a very you know formative age in my life. Uh, I love this movie. I love it. I I fully acknowledge the flaws with it, the problems with it. It's entirely too long. It's got all of Michael Bay's problems still, but I still just absolutely think this is one of the best movies he's ever made. And it will probably be, having seen Six Underground, I feel confident saying it will continue to be one of the (laughs) best movies he's ever made. And I liked Six Underground, but it's a lot of michael bay this one is a more subtle if you can believe that but uh i love this recommendation anything you want to add oh i just
1: love this movie i really do well i was gonna say also my my favorite shot of this in this whole movie is uh the foot chase where they've kidnapped tia leone where, where they've kidnapped her Uh, Fouché's got her, and they're taking off in a car. And Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are running through all these apartments and all these things. And eventually, Will Smith has to tackle Martin Lawrence to get it, keep him from being run over by a car and stuff. But at the end, it's slow motion, and it's a it's a camera shot that circles around Will Smith with his shirt kind of flapping in the wind in slow mo, just. I mean, it's a total Michael Bay shot, but that's just, that's what I think of when I think of this, this movie in terms of a sh- my most favorite shot.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the, uh, the patented Michael Bay circular shot, but this is where it was born. I also love the, uh, I love the fight scene in the club when they try and uh, choke out Martin Lawrence and the way he... it's in Club Hell. I don't know what
1: the movie, what yeah. the music's. Called.
0: Yeah, no, I am. I'm trying to. I can't remember the name of the band, but uh, it doesn't matter. I've got the CD, but it doesn't matter. I, I've seen them in concert. Even I love the uh, the fight scene in Club Hell when they're trying to choke out Martin Lawrence and just the way bass shoots that where it goes slow motion, totally in sync with the background music and, and everything. It's really, this is really just a terrific movie. I also love there's, I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. There's a Joey pants line where he's yelling at them and he's saying something along the lines. I'm going to misquote it, but he's saying something along the lines of, did you hear me say it? Cause I know it said it. Cause I was there and I heard me say it. Um, <laughs> and, and that, that just always Joey pants again, making a second appearance in this movie and being just as awesome in this movie as he is in running scared. Uh, I I actually think Joey pants might have to become the patron saint of the 20th century movie club, because he's got like six movies on this list and he's not the star in any of them, but who's more 20th century movie club than Joey pants
1: uh does, yes. does everybody call him jo- when we say Joey pants do people immediately know who that is or is that just something that i i got i got from you
0: no that that's pretty much what he's known as that's his nickname joe Pantaleano uh for those who don't know who we're talking about he's in the matrix you'll know him but yes joey pants is is kind of what he's known as all right i am going to bring us down just a little bit because my last pick is not a buddy comedy it is definitely a buddy film but it is a serious buddy drama and it is in the upper echelon of my favorite movies of all time it is a movie from my favorite director of all time and it is the movie that turned me into the hong kong film fan that i am And I have held off on recommending it because unfortunately, as you'll see when we talk about where to find it, it's very difficult to find at this point. It's certainly not streaming anywhere, but if you want to see it, you can find it. And that is the 1989 John Woo stone-cold masterpiece, The Killer. For those who haven't seen it, The Killer involves a... Hitman played by the coolest actor who has ever lived, Chow Yun-Fat, who during a hit inadvertently blinds a nightclub singer and has a crisis of conscience and decides that he is going to help her get her eyesight back. And in order to do that, he has to take on at least one more final hit. On his tail is a detective played by Danny Lee named Lee Ying, who is trying to figure out who this hitman is and slowly but surely figures out that there's more to the hitman uh, than there appears and that he's maybe not the bad guy that he thinks he is. This is the movie... I don't want to say it's the movie that put John Woo on the map because that was a better tomorrow, but this is the movie that solidified John Woo as the all-time greatest action director and this is the movie that made hong kong cinema explode on the international scene now jeff i know you've seen the killer because well frankly you saw it because of me so tell me what you think of the killer
1: yeah i owe you for the rest of my life for this one this was the first hong kong film that i ever saw it was because of you you lent me i don't remember if it was a, a dvd or, or probably a vhs and- i had just so listeners
0: know this is how old jeff and i are we old af y'all i had <laughs> i had recorded my criterion laser disc onto a vhs and loaned that to you
1: <laughs> yes if if everybody knew how many of your laser discs I had seen, I wanted I did want to bring up laser discs at some point because yeah, we've we've seen those. Yeah, this was the first I had ever ever seen, and it blew my freaking mind. This, I mean, you list this in your in your top movies of all time. This is definitely my top action movie of all time. I think I own three different copies of it. I, you know, my my wife is is actually Chinese and her her mother brought me a a special edition from Hong Kong at one point. Like, I love this movie. I've got posters. I've seen this not nearly as many times as you have, Mike, but. Oh my God, I love, love, love this movie. And it, it made me a John Woo fan as well. Uh, You know, you were then nice enough to, to make me copies and let me see, you know, all the better tomorrows and, and peace hotel and all the other, you know, uh, Chow Yun fat movies that, that I loved and, and all the other John Woo movies. So this, I owe you so big time for, for ever recommending and, and, putting me onto this movie for the first time.
0: Well, I don't know that I can sell the movie any better than that. Folks. Uh, this is, this is, if you were to introduce somebody to John Woo and it's, it's tough in 2020 because so many of the things that he did have been parodied so many times that I feel like some people just think it's all slow motion and doves but if you really <laughs> if you really wanted to try and introduce someone to John Woo i think this is the movie you start with it's everything that he does well A brotherhood loyalty drama heart emotion uh, tragedy then couple that with just the most I'm not even from Boston, and there's only one way I can describe them: the most wicked, awesome, fucking shootouts that you're ever gonna see in a movie. This is this is the movie. Uh, this is I've recommended a lot of movies on the 20th Century Movie Club. This is one that that like hits me in my soul. I I love this movie. If people haven't seen it, if listeners haven't seen it. This is one that I really, really... I need you to watch. I want you to watch. Because this movie means so much to me and my life. Obviously, in my friendships. It's, it's really one of the greatest movies of all time. And every director that you love... Has in some way ripped this movie off. Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Johnny Toe, Michael Bay. Like, they've all taken inspiration and influence from this movie. This is... Not seeing this movie is not like seeing The Godfather or Goodfellas. This is one of the most influential, important movies of all time, and I really hope that I can sell everybody on watching it, because it is just an absolute stone-cold masterpiece.
1: You mentioned Michael Bay you know paying homage to to this and it was funny because when i was re-watching bad boys there was a, a slow motion running scene and i don't think it was intentional but there was a pigeon that was on the ground and uh, when martin lawrence ran in slow motion past it it flew off in front of him kind of like the uh, the stereotypical john woo uh, dove shot which i thought was pretty funny
0: yeah, absolutely. There's an anime called Fooly Cooly that has a great scene where there's a shootout and all these doves come in. And people are like, where did all these doves come from? Like, <laughs> he he he, like, created a thing. He's got a style. He's like Tarantino. He created a style. And you need to go back to the roots to see where that style started. Uh, I do also want to let people know, because we won't recommend it on this show, because it was made in the year 2000, not before the year 2000. Do not at me with your Mission Impossible to slander. I'm not interested. <laughs> do not at Jeff with your Mission Impossible to slander. He is not interested either. Uh, get the hell out of here with that shit
1: yeah I, I i i will profess i do love mission impossible too <laughs> yeah yeah it has got a great it's i think those are actually pigeons not doves right but it's it's the same exact thing and it's beautiful
0: yeah yeah i'm not interested not interested don't want to hear it you just you just keep that to yourself put that in your pocket and keep it to yourself all right jeff anything else you want to add about the killer
1: uh, not the killer so much is I wanted I wanted to for all of our action films here that we've talked about um, and, and I thought about it when I was watching Bad Boys uh, and, and I i am fairly certain that was Hans Zimmer that did the soundtrack for Bad Boys, right? Mark Mancina, who was a protege, he worked no, back
0: in the day. Uh, so, Hans Zimmer has a production company. I can't remember what his new production company is called, but back in the day it was called Remote Control. And Manchina was one of his protégés. So, essentially, Zimmer did the score without actually doing the score, if that makes sense.
1: It it seemed very reminiscent of him, but also what I was thinking throughout the whole movie is there are there, there's the main theme that da 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 da, but it would be done with different instruments throughout the the movie, which i thought it was just awesome but then you know thinking back on on the other action movies on tango and cash and uh running scared i do remember that those were quintessential 80s action movies that had those 80s action soundtracks that was not actually it was kind of just all synthesizer and nothing that really kind of melded the story together um And I know that that's kind of a that I don't know where I'm going exactly with this point, but that was just another thing that as I watched uh, Bad Boys again, that really stood out to me. And, you know, we talked about The Rock and some other movies uh, that likewise have that soundtrack that kind of connects everything together, which is another thing that I really enjoyed about uh, about 90s action movies uh, versus 80s. Yeah, it's
0: the Zimmerfication of action movie scores. Although I will say Tango and Cash's score is by Harold Faltemeyer, the almighty composer of the Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun scores. So that score is actually pretty terrific. But you're right. The Running Scared scores, the the Running Scared soundtrack has some really great songs, but the score is relatively unmemorable. But the Zimmerification of action scores in the 90s was something that both you and I are big fans of, especially because it was both when Zimmer was interested, and in his remote control proteges were interested in making thematically interesting scores rather than just scores that go like his <laughs> scores for uh, Christopher Nolan movies do now. Um, so I agree with you. I, I I think in the '90s action, I think the '90s was definitely the high point of action movie scores and folks who follow me on twitter or listen to the show know i am a big fan of movie scores i in the rambo retrospective i shouted out jerry goldsmith as much and as often as i could so i actually thank you for bringing that up because i think the bad boys score is terrific uh, i was very disappointed that it didn't show up in bad boys 2 i was very pleased that it showed up in bad boys for life I'm with you. I, I think '90s action scores—that's the peak of those scores.
1: Agreed. I, I I might even say that '80s the '80s were really for me maybe the peak of action movies, and then '90s were the peak of action movie scores. I I think that I will I will I will sign off on that for myself at least. That's a reasonable assertion, and I actually can't really. Barring
0: a few exceptions like Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun, I can't really disagree with you.
1: Uh, sure, and especially since, especially since the killer was '89, it just sneaks in under there. Yeah, and for I think both of us, that is where the bar is set. That yeah, I I I, I feel confident in making that that statement.
0: I agree. Um, all right, so folks, now is when we come to the time where we tell you where you can see all this stuff. As always, we use the Just Watch app and website. It's not sponsored, but we are certainly not going to complain, Just Watch, if you want to throw us a little bit of money. Hint, hint. But what we have found is that it is, in fact, the most accurate website for letting you know where stuff is streaming. As always, this is accurate at the time of recording. But if you're listening to this down the road, make sure to double check. Just watch as streaming services are always gaining and losing movies. So, Jeff, tell us where we can find your recommendations.
1: All right. So Strange Brew. uh, I I always just assume Strange Brew was on constant loop up in Canada on some station, but it's not listed on just watch uh, that. That is the case. Uh, It does look like, though, you are going to need to either buy or rent it. If you do want to see it, it is not actually streaming for free anywhere, but it is available wherever you would rent or buy your digital media, or I'm assuming physical, physical media might be a little bit harder to find uh, for Strange Brew, I'm assuming, but um, uh, in terms of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure it is streaming for free with ads on YouTube TV it is also apparently on Sci-Fi right now so you probably have to watch an edited version and it is also available on Sling and DirecTV and then you can rent or buy it in all the usual places Apple TV Amazon Google Play etc etc and finally Bad Boys It is available to stream for free on Fubo, which used to just be a soccer channel, but apparently now has other things that I'm unaware of Uh, sling. And uh, if you have got a cable network, it is available on U.S. uh, USA Network. I am going to assume that it is going to be heavily edited there. So that might not be the best place to see it. But beyond that, you can rent it or buy it at uh, all the usual places.
0: All right, Running Scared is available on Prime Video if you have a Prime subscription. If you don't, it's available on Tubi, ad-supported but free. You can also rent it and buy it in most of your usual places. And I will also note that Kino Lorber has put out a very nice Blu-ray of it. It doesn't have very many special features, but it's still a physical copy of a movie that I think everybody should own. Tego and Cash is available on Stars. You can either subscribe to Stars or subscribe to the Stars channel on Amazon. It's also available for rent or purchase on all of your major streaming services. The killer is tough. It's not streaming anywhere. It has been treated unbelievably poorly because unfortunately Hong Kong cinema, the Hong Kong film industry did not really value preservation or archiving. The easiest way to see it is you can readily buy the old Dragon Dynasty Blu-ray on Amazon for around 10 bucks. It's a terrible Blu-ray. It's a 1080i upscale. It barely looks better than DVD. It's awful. But if you haven't seen The Killer, and this is the only way you can see it, do it. Uh, I would say this. Any way you can see The Killer, however you need to see it. We never recommend, shall we call them, alternative methods of watching movies on this podcast, but the killer is dangerously close to becoming a lost movie. And so the best way to see it is any way you can see it. It is a fantastic movie. You should watch it now. You should watch it soon and you should watch it as often as you can. But sadly it's not streaming anymore.
1: All right. It's streaming at your house. If anybody wants to just show up at Mike's house, it'll be on.
0: You know what? If you want to see The Killer, y'all follow me on Twitter. Reach out to me. DM me on Twitter. I will hook you up with a copy and make sure that you see the movie. I don't normally put that out there, but I will do it this time because that's how much I love this movie. So if you want to see a copy of The Killer and you cannot find it anywhere else, reach out to me. I'll make sure you see it.
1: So worth it. Love it.
0: All right. Jeff, plug some stuff. Where can people find you?
1: well as you said i got a podcast it is a baseball history podcast i realize this is a movie podcast so there might not be a whole lot of crossover but if you were ever interested in learning anything about baseball history the quirky characters the odd games hearing old players talk about i like to ask them you know what's the stupidest thing a fan ever yelled at you or you know what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a bullpen uh Give us a follow. Uh, Listen to us. We are Two Strike Noise. You can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. It is at Two Strike Noise. That's T-W-O Strike Noise. Uh, You can also find us, uh, the podcast, on anywhere that you get. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, I guarantee you you can find our podcast as well. Just spell out the word, too. It's T-W-O Strike Noise. And we're also on uh, YouTube as Mark, Mark, that's my co-host. So I'm just going to call you Mark for now on, Mike. As Mike mentioned, uh, if you just search for Two Strike Noise on YouTube, uh, you can find us there or on our you know main page, we have links to all this stuff as well. So hopefully we'll uh, have a couple of you join us and, and hear some uh, wacky baseball stories.
0: And I will say, I can confirm we do have some baseball fans who follow this show. So if you're not already listening to the podcast and I am specifically calling you out, Jarrett, Uh, make sure that you're listening to Two Strike. As always, you can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter where I blather on about things, mostly Scott Adkins related, which is also a perfect segue for me to tell you that I also have a secondary podcast. Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. You can also find me at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where you will find our continually updating list of all the movies we've recommended on the 20th Century Movie Club. I update them as soon as the new episodes drop. So if you ever listen to an episode and you're like, man, I just can't remember what episode that was on, follow me on Letterboxd, follow that list, and you'll be able to find it. I would be a terrible co host if I did not shout out the very namesake of this podcast, Dana Buckler. You can find Dana himself at Dana Buckler on Twitter. You can find the show at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter. You can join our Facebook group, The Dana Buckler Show. Follow the show on Instagram at The Dana Buckler Show. Email us at TheDanaBucklerShow at gmail.com. We are a Patreon-supported podcast, where supporting us gets you early access to episodes, bonus classic How Is This Movie episodes, as well as some new goodies that we're going to be announcing soon. You can listen to the show on every major podcast app of choice. As of this recording, as of a couple hours ago, I just found out that we will now be on Amazon Podcasts. So if you are in the Amazon ecosystem, you can follow us there as well. And let me tell you, nothing is going to sound better than Dana's dulcet tones coming through your Echo. If you enjoy our show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you can leave a review. If you don't want to remember all of these links I just said, Just go to Linktree slash Dana Buckler show and you can find everything. Finally, be sure to download the Dash radio app and listen to Dana's new show, Hollywood Unfiltered, on the Fun for Life channel. It's a terrific show and you know what? Every once in a while you're going to get to hear me there as well because I may or may not be the official Fun for Life radio Hollywood Unfiltered film critic. Uh, I just recorded a review today. So please follow us there. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I had an absolute blast.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And Dana, stop dodging my calls.
0: Dana, if you need me to do something about this, just let me know. I'll, I'll take care of it. For Jeff Paulson, for Dana Buckler, I'm Mike Scott. I hope you all have a wonderful night.